Welcome to Grumpy GDPR. My name is Ria, founder of No Ties Consulting. And my name is Milos Novovic. I'm an associate professor of law. Hello, Ria. So nice to see you again. Hi, Milos. How are you doing? How are things? Things are going really well. I still carry that holiday spirit. Oh, that's nice to hear. It has been excellent and wonderful to have some time off from work and uh, just, you know, reading some other stuff than the GDPR. Although I tend to often end up in some, you know, uh, Working Party 29 guideline or something. What about you? You know, I have to admit that I've taken a little bit of like a proper break during the holidays. So I have not read a single thing. Wow. And uh, I'm very much looking forward to catching up with you and uh, hearing about the stuff you've So unconnecting. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's important. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. We are so connected at all times. So I think it's super important to take some real proper time off everything, all of the devices and the internet and the whole shebang. And that is actually a perfect segue, being connected all the time and mentioning devices, because today we're going to talk about the Internet of Things. We are indeed. It's such a fascinating topic and so many people bring it up. And we've had a few listeners actually reach out to us and say that this is an interesting topic and something we should talk about. I'm super excited. Yeah, me too. And it's uh, it's so fun to get this uh, listener request as well. So keep them coming, folks. And it's, it's just such a fascinating topic. And I have to say, I got myself a new toothbrush in uh, December. Is it one of the Bluetooth ones? It is, actually. And (laughs) (laughs) you know, the funny thing is that I didn't notice until we actually received them that they are connected devices. They they come with an app, they have Bluetooth and everything. And the first thought I had was, what the heck am I going to do with a Bluetooth toothbrush? But come on, it has an app, it shows you how often, how like thorough you are. I mean, who wouldn't want that kind yeah, of Yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> uh, I, you know, I actually used to work as a dental assistant for years. And I can see that in some cases, it might actually be somewhat useful to get some guidance on how to brush your teeth. Uh, some people actually brush, brush their teeth way too hard. But uh, the good thing about these toothbrushes is that they have indicators. So it flashes red light if I brush too hard. And so I think that suffices. You don't actually have to be connected to the internet as well. But my God, that's actually a perfect business model. Imagine all the integrations. So you can get, for example, some discount on candy. If you brush off, you could get some... (laughs) Loyalty program. Oh, my gosh. Customer clubs. uh, Yeah, we should start that business. Contractual necessity. (laughs) You've bought this toothbrush and you're forever bound (laughs) to give us your personal data. So how connected are you? Extremely so. I was just about to ask you the same thing. There is not a single gadget that I don't use (laughs) like day to day that I don't start using and then forget about. But I love gadgets. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, I do as well. And I always think it's a tricky balance. And, you know, the more I work with the GDPR and just the basic fundamental principles of privacy and data protection, of course, it does something. We have this great word in Norwegian. It's called miljøskadet. And I haven't found a good translation in English, but it 
pretty much means that you're getting highly affected by uh, by something that you work with. And I think it's you're just looking at how invasive it is into my privacy and private sphere versus convenience. Yeah, I think uh, I think that it's exactly that, right? At some point, you realize, well, this is not very privacy friendly, and then you most people tend to just forget about that, right? And I think that that is actually a big part of the problem because these devices can be very useful, but with obvious privacy trade-offs. Yeah, and I guess it's we'll have to look at the difference between uh, you could think a bit like the good, the bad, and the ugly. And the good is if it's useful for the individual, of course, it's up to us as adults to decide what and what not to use and when and when not to allow sharing and reuse of our personal data. And then there's uh, the, uh, to jump straight to the ugly part, it's the invisible processing. And this is perhaps the worst thing when you're not even aware that you're being tracked and surveilled and monitored and uh, who knows what my toothbrush uh, is up to uh, if I don't disable that Bluetooth? Yeah, exactly. Maybe I should come with a, you know with a microphone just to make sure that there is water actually running. Like <laughs> that. But you know, in all fairness, it's not easy to develop products to develop smart devices which are compliant by nature. Haha, <laughs> privacy by design. Actually, because very often it's a part of core functionality, right? But isn't that a contradiction? Because if how could it be hard to develop something if you are the one who defines the functionality to begin with? True, but at the same time, if the only way to develop this device is to incorporate such features, there are going to be privacy challenges. And I think um, drawing that line for data controllers and those who develop such things could be difficult. Yeah, and... I think so. I gave this some thought and I pretty much landed on Article 25 as perhaps the most important one in this uh, respect, aside from, of course, always the fundamental principles. But so we have our responsibility of ensuring privacy and data protection by default and by design. So you, you have that responsibility to begin with. And the EDPB has several times underlined and emphasized that also processors who develop uh, new services, for example, have a responsibility of, uh, of ensuring good privacy settings as well. I think that goes straight into the core of it, because... When we think about all of these devices, this is actually the first time that I find Article 25 to be really useful. But privacy by design actually has very specific meaning here. And I think basically goes into default settings as well. Yeah. Yeah. And just turn stuff off by default and let people themselves decide what to enable and not. Um, looking at my iPhone, for example. So I did enable some functionality uh, yesterday as a matter of fact. And I usually, when I get a new device, I go through it thoroughly and I disable everything that I can disable because there is so much invasive monitoring and tracking that is enabled by default. And I have to spend, like every time I get a Microsoft account, for example, if I do a client project, I spend up to two hours trying to uh, 
disable all of the um, tracking that Microsoft does as a controller, although they are being uh, or being hired, so to speak, to act only as a processor, which is a whole different episode. But yeah, uh, all of these things should be off by default. Yeah, so I think that's our first recommendation to anybody actually making these devices. Make sure that settings are that off is a default. And I think that that is actually something that, as you say, is very problematic in practice. And I think most people just buy a gadget and start using it and don't actually go through the trouble of setting things up. Yeah, and I listened to one podcast and this... Um this uh, security expert, he uh, his recommendation was to choose the big providers. He said the Philips and the Amazons of the world have their act together. Uh, and I'm not sure I, I fully trust that because if you look at those, I mentioned Microsoft and not to, you know, uh, throw them under the bus because they're not necessarily worse than the others. I wouldn't... Uh, say that only because there are the huge players and they have huge security programs and compliance programs that you should just trust whatever they come up uh, out with. And this is why enforcement is so key. So first, you have to have the rules in place. We do have that framework in place. Second, you have to enforce it and make sure that uh, these brands and these uh, all the factories and uh, manufacturers, they actually comply with the regulations. Exactly. And then in addition to everything under Article 25, obviously there is, you know, a big question of Article 32 and security of these devices. And we've heard many funny stories and many horror stories, right? Depending on the perspective, of course. There was the uh, doll, the infamous doll, which was uh, monitoring children's conversations and transmitting in a unsecure way. There were smartwatches, great initiatives by the Norwegian Consumer Council. Then there were, oh my God, stupid stuff. Yeah. Like I remember those smart locks on people's doors, which could be controlled by Alexa. And somebody just forgot in the early testing phase that somebody can stand outside of your door and say, Alexa, unlock the door. Right? <laughs> I, I haven't <laughs> so, actually heard that one. That is horrible. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, it's uh, this is so important. But where would you draw the line? Be because... It, the extreme is that, or I wouldn't even call it extreme, everything should be off by default. That That isn't extreme, is it? I don't think so. So I think there is obviously some core functionality which people expect to be turned on by default. So if I buy a fitness tracker, you know, step count is, like it's obvious to expect that counting my steps is going to be done on this device. But then if they want to actually do further analysis or if they want to quote unquote do product improvement of course that that should be off by default yeah and uh, i think a lot of the devices they they um they have a a way to go there and the thing is you want to balance the convenience versus how privacy invasive stuff is because if you look at it most people carry around their smartphone all day uh, many have smart watches you have your computer that you may bring with you you're sitting in a car that is and i like this um, the markup they had a report starting with on uh, car and uh, connected devices 
a firehose of sensitive data from your vehicle is flowing to a group of companies you've never heard, you've probably never heard of. And I think that's such a great description because we have all these devices. We're even sitting inside of such devices and data is being shared to numerous other third parties that we are completely unaware of. And this goes back to, as I said initially, the invisible processing, which is the really ugly one. Yeah, that is very true. I mean, there were many jokes around this, like with voice assistants. Somebody said like, hey, wiretap, turn on my lights. So it's <laughs> you know, what we are actually putting. In all fairness, though, when we think about all the processing which is taking place, say, take voice assistants. Obviously, to be able to recognize my voice better, to react to the commands better, it is beneficial if they use some kind of machine processing to actually make them learn what my voice sounds like. Uh, to only read out my calendar if it's me who asks. So there is definitely you know, uh, some of this complex processing and sharing with third parties, which I think is useful for these devices. Mm. But then, as you said before, where do you draw the line? Yeah, and it's not uh, always easy, especially when it comes to improvement of services and products. Um, obviously, that would be in some interest to all of us as consumers, for example, to get better products and get uh, better services. But um, if you could always rely on that, for example, legitimate interest, I don't know. I think you have to look at what kind of device it is as well, because there's a huge difference between uh, a car, for example, and a uh, pacemaker that's inside of you that could also be a connected device and all of the uh, health monitors. And there are real benefits to connected devices as well. For example, remote healthcare, remote patient care, monitoring people in rural areas, for example, that don't have easy access to um, special, very special health services, for example. Hmm. And then there is the whole question, and I guess we'll circle back to security, but there is a whole question of third parties. So say I'm using a smart speaker. Do I then have to put people on, on notice? Am I a suddenly a joint controller <laughs> with Google? If they're sitting in my car, you know, do I share responsibility with Tesla? And uh, I think that there is a little bit to look into there. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, interestingly as well, your car is considered a terminal equipment. So you actually have to comply with the e-privacy directive as well, which makes... You're the, the, I am not joking. This is you actually are <laughs> <Terminal> quoted <laughs> from EDPB guidelines. And of course, we'll add uh, this to the show notes, but some of the resources that I skimmed through uh, for this episode includes... Uh, an opinion from 2014 on the recent developments on the Internet of Things from the Working Party. You have the uh, M-Health regulation, which is a separate regulation from 2017. You have guidelines on processing personal data in the context of connected vehicles, etc. from 2020. And then, of course, not least, the uh, virtual voice assistance uh, guidelines that you mentioned from 2021. And yes, I kid you not, E-privacy is full in effect and it is uh, it takes precedence. Quote 
from uh, the EDPB on um, uh, for the, uh, compared to the GDPR? It's incredible. And there is no legitimate interest. So better exactly. print out those consent forms and have them in the back of your account. Exactly. So how you actually solve this in practice, I think, will uh, be challenging, um, to say the least. I think what I mentioned was the household exception. But my God, then again, you know, household exception does not apply to all the car-related activities, right? No, it wouldn't, and it would only apply to the controller that is subject to that household exception. So obviously not to all the manufacturers, etc. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So there is a whole bunch of things to look into there, and I think that is going to be a challenge for both data protection authorities and courts moving forward. How do you separate uh, between the responsibility of a manufacturer versus the responsibility of people using these things. Yeah. Perhaps not being aware. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for example, in uh, Germany, the Federation of German Consumer Organization has filed a lawsuit against Tesla for the activation of sentry mode. And sentry mode in a Tesla is, as many probably know, uh, continuously monitoring your surroundings with uh, the tes Tesla cameras. And this relates to then the use in public spaces and uh, vehicle owners risk fines. Uh, I'm quoting from their own press release. So, of course, the owners would then be seen as controllers or joint controllers uh, as they would be then subject to uh, possible fines. The uh, Swedish Data Protection Authority is looking into the same. And interestingly, in Norway, uh, the DPA here in 2019 gave a clear yes to the use of sentry mode. And they also said the same in September last year, that sentry mode is fine. And just uh, a little hack for all of your Tesla owners out there, you can actually disable sentry mode in at your home address. So to be on the safe side, please do so. <laughs> well, I would argue that you mostly need it at your home address because I guess that's where you park and stuff. And I mean, come on, it's ridiculous to apply the GDPR here. Technically, I can see the reasoning, but what do they want people to do? Uh, write privacy policies and uh, give access rights and like what? Well, I um, one thing about this where I do actually agree was related to that complaint in Sweden because this was an individual who felt monitored at all times in uh, the garage facility because all of the Teslas were filming him constantly. So I do see that there are some implications here that could be invasive for somebody's privacy. True. No, I agree, but there has to be a line there. And I think we're back into the whole discussion about how pragmatic, how idealistic you want to be about the GDPR. Everything can be GDPR issue, but... Let me give you another example. So in, um, in Germany, of course, again... Uh, a German DPA fined Volkswagen 1.1 million euros for conducting test drives of its vehicle with cameras attached without informing the other road users for the lack of a DPIA and a data processing agreement. I can see that the DPA, DPIA would be kind of needed there, I suppose. Why? It would be still hard well, I remember those cases where Google, uh, those Google cars that went around and recorded the uh, Street View stuff actually ended up capturing a lot of um, 
quote-unquote incriminating stuff for people. So yes, of course, they can blur your face, but um, it might in some cases not be hard for your family to deduce. So, oh, he's spending a lot of time with the neighbors. Yeah, but this is a test vehicle. So I absolutely agree in the Google uh, case. But here, I cannot see. Is a DPIA really necessary for a test vehicle? Okay, let's say that if if it's running around in some uh, neighborhoods, then maybe. But as far as I understood, this was on public roads, like on the highway. Okay, no, sorry, I didn't fully pick up on the case that it was a test use. Yeah, of course, if it's not being published to you, I don't see how there can be... uh, What I found the most disturbing in this case is the huge fine for breaches that I honestly don't think are very uh, serious at all. The um, lack of uh, information was due to an oversight, so they had forgot to put those uh, stickers on the um, on the windows of the cars and th- that was uh, an honest mistake that could happen you know in this case i don't see that as very grave at all i am unsure of the requirement of a dpia in my opinion okay they hadn't signed the data processing agreement so you absolutely have some breaches of the gdpr here but i don't think that that justifies a fine of 1.1 million euros Agreed. I fully agree. And so we've seen that this is problematic for device manufacturers, that they have to think about their settings, they have to think about security. It's problematic for people who use these devices so that they don't become controllers or that they don't have to think of e-privacy out of all things. But there is actually a point I want to take up here, and that is that there is this huge regulatory gap. So specifically, when we, we tend to focus on the GDPR, right? But it's also hard for DPAs to actually do something about this because apart from fining the manufacturer, say you want to issue a ban on processing, people are suddenly going to lose core functionality of the devices they've bought. So this creates devastating effects on the market, right? It hurts consumers at the end of the day if such drastic measures are implemented. So if I bought the speaker with a smart assistant, you know, there is no obligation under the GDPR to issue refunds, for example. So if there is a sudden ban on processing, I am sitting with the speaker, which doesn't work, and there is still no active obligation under the GDPR to reimburse me Hmm. or something that DPAs can order in any case. That is a very interesting thought. I've never thought about that. Um, My immediate reaction is that why wouldn't why couldn't then the DPA issue a fine and an order to rectify violations with uh, daily penalties, for example? Yeah, they can do that. I can't. Do you also, do you see that a DPA could actually issue a ban on processing in such a case? All depends on how how serious the breach is, but in any case, I think. There is still this gap for consumers because a DPA can't even order product recall. Uh, Let's take another example. Let's take security. So we know that many manufacturers just stop updating their stuff after two years and they come with a shiny new model and then you get a new operating system and everything. There is no legal obligation on their part to keep updating these devices, like no specific obligation to keep 
it working in a way. They can claim this is a discontinued product, somebody is using an unsupported service, and therefore we don't need to issue any more updates. And yes, I know it's a stretch, but those arguments are frequently brought up. And I think the fact that DPAs can't issue recalls can't really, yeah, they can go with a ban, but they can't then, you know, deprive people. They can't uh, offer compensation to people. I think there is some kind of a gap there. So I hope that in addition to the GDPR, we actually get additional kind of legal sources regulating this. Yeah, probably if there if there is a legal gap, uh, you know, <laughs> the EU for sure will be the first one to issue new regulations <laughs> and directives. So, uh, yeah, watch this space, I guess. Yeah, I think it's going to be a very exciting moving forward. And I think that there is a whole new uh, bunch of discussions around Internet of Things and connected devices and uh, from what I've seen, there are already proposals about obligatory updates, the fact that they have to uh, continue supporting their systems for a period of years to recall products uh, in certain instances. So I think that it's going to be exciting moving forwards. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I will also link to the markup report on the connected vehicles because it describes this whole ecosystem around cars today. It's not just a clunky car anymore. It's a computer on wheels and it's sharing data with numerous parties and you have data brokers and it's the, the same as the ads ecosystem as well. You have another huge ecosystem there and data is being sold to insurance companies and whatnot. So I absolutely expect uh, more to happen in this uh, area going forward so uh, and of course we'll keep uh, track of all that then I'll talk to you soon and have a wonderful day likewise talk to you soon bye for now